0: father was reading a story to his little son. His son was sitting on his knee. When the story was finished, the little boy's imagination had been kindled. He turned to his father and he said, Dad, what's the greatest thing in the world? His father paused a moment and said, Son, the greatest thing in the world is to know that the Lord is. That father was right. The greatest thing in the world is to know that the Lord is. Now I want to affirm that in our scripture lesson. It comes from Psalms 23 one of the greatest psalms in all the scripture. Would you listen, please? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry tonight. I'm so pleased you've joined us. And as always, my prayer is that you will be blessed both by the word and the music. Would you join me, please, now for a prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, which are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The Old Testament is almost a distinct memory in the hearts and minds of modern humankind. Those sacred old stories that our foreparents used to love so much are becoming more and more lost to us. How many commandments actually command us? How many commandments do we actually have at our command? For many people, the number is probably much less than 10. Perhaps the humor of these children's stories represents something much more serious. A little boy who was asked about his favorite Old Testament story wasn't too sure of all the details. He said, the only thing I'm sure about is it's about Shadrach, Meshach, and a petticoat. A little girl was asked to name one of the commandments. She said, I'll be happy to keep off the grass. As I said, these sacred, wonderful old stories of our foreparents are almost becoming lost to our modern generation in our minds and our hearts. Yet there's one little story that has not been touched by our neglect. It is called the Nightingale of the Psalms, the Jewel of the Psalms. And it sounds sweetest when the times are darkest. The author could very well have been King David. And yet when we think about David, we're always reminded of someone else, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ our Lord, who said, I am the good shepherd, I am the good shepherd. Now next to the Lord's Prayer, probably the best known passage of Scripture in the Bible is the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm is probably used at more funerals than any other psalm. It's used as a devotional aid more than any other psalms. It's uncanny how this psalm continues to speak to us in our deepest and darkest fears. So what audacity, what audacity to even comment on this psalm. I see this psalm as sort of entering into the Holy of Holies and I enter it with trepidation and fear. As Walter Brueggemann observed, it's almost pretentious to comment on this psalm. This psalm is so full of simple confidence that it stands on itself. It doesn't need comment, and yet I must comment on it. Whether I do it justice or not, I feel compelled to do so. First of all, the Lord is my shepherd, or is he? We have to decide who is this Lord. How we think of God is so critically important to our very, very existence. Our minister was talking about a man in his congregation who was an avowed agnostic. This man's daughter became very ill, and he really loved her deeply. As he sat by her bedside, he put his head in his hands, and he simply repeated, God is nowhere. God is nowhere. In a minute, he felt his daughter's hand on his face, and she said, Daddy, you are so wrong. You are so wrong. God is now here. God is now here. A person in a congregation recently said to a minister after they had gone through a tragedy, how can anyone go through a tragedy without God at the center of their lives? And Robert Browning was asked by someone, what would you say is the greatest theme of your poetry that says more about you than anything else? He said, I am very sure about God, I am very sure about God, once more. How we think of God is critically important to our very, very existence. Sometimes we do not think of God at all. Years ago, in the book of Genesis, a fellow by the name of Jacob said something that's resounded ever since. He said something along the lines of, Surely, the Lord is in this place, but I did not know it. James Moore sought to bring this up to date when he said, God was here, but I was out to lunch. In reality, perhaps this will help explain the predicament of modern humankind. We may complain, some of us, that God has abandoned his world and it's just rational forces that are running it now. And yet it's us. We have placed our lives around those rational forces rather than around God. You know, the idea is God was here, but I was out to lunch. And then sometimes we think of God as if God were us, if if God were like us. Wipe out the enemy. Toss in or through miracles or two just to prove the point. Eliminate the competition. We worry about these things. We worry about the fact that what we think God doesn't evidently think, and he's different, and it concerns us. Desmond Tutu, who was a Nobel Prize winner and the Archbishop of Cape Town, said many of us need to have our notions of God deepened and expanded It is often said half in jest that God created us in his image and we have returned the favor in creating him in our image. And then sometimes we think of God as being very incompetent or cruel or both. For humankind itself has the look of a sheep without a shepherd. Who was looking after the lambs at Auschwitz or Rwanda or Haiti or in the heart attack rooms or the cancer rooms all across the world? The daughter of a friend wanted to know about her father who was killed in an airplane crash. She said, why did God take my daddy? But there's nothing new about all of this. There's nothing new about everything I've said. History is full of people asking the same questions, bringing about the same curses, having the same problems. But yet aren't we grateful that above the clamor of all the noise there was a person who stood above everything and said very calmly, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, this passage, more than anything else, reminds us of the individual's experience of grace. This passage tells us that that the Lord is here, the Lord is love, the Lord is always with us. And it makes an enormous difference whether we think of God as the divine shepherd or my shepherd or a shepherd. For sure, God is the divine shepherd. There's no question about that. We are told in the Old Testament that God shepherded his people through two great experiences. First of all, it was the Exodus wilderness experience and the exile experience. God led them out of bondage and into the wilderness, and then it was the hope that God would lead them again back into the Promised Land. For sure, for sure, God is the divine shepherd, and the 23rd Psalm is about this wilderness experience. God is the divine shepherd. No question about that, but is that all? God also needs to be my shepherd. Someone said the heart of religion is his personal pronouns, my shepherd, my shepherd. Doesn't it make a difference if we say Jesus is a savior or Jesus is my savior? The good shepherd said, I know my sheep and am known of mine. Certainly, certainly he is a divine shepherd, but he's also my shepherd. Perhaps we could understand when we think about how the shepherds would bring their flock into a common field, all these sheep would be out there in the common field. Suddenly, one of the shepherds would come to the gate and he would call his sheep. There would be a simmering, shimmering movement of two or three that would be moving away from the rest of them toward the gate. The rest of the sheep would stay absolutely motionless because it wasn't their shepherd that called. The sheep that were moving would first of all have to listen and say, is that my shepherd? But as soon as they realized it, they would follow the shepherd wherever he led. And that's the only way we will ever know if the Lord is our shepherd is by following his voice, following his voice. And then secondly, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A minister said that he and his wife were hastily trying to get to a luncheon after Sunday worship, and they were speeding excessively. A policeman saw them and pulled them over. He came up to the window and the policeman said, do you know about the limit here in this area? He said, yes, sir. He said, what is it? He said, 30 miles an hour. The policeman said, well, will you let me see your driver's license? The minister handed him his driver's license and his insurance papers. Now, it just so happened the church leased this car for their pastor and so on the insurance form it said the owner was Grace Methodist Church and the policeman said, what do you do? What's your occupation?" The minister said, Normally I'm happy to say this, but this time I rather sheepishly said, I'm the pastor of the Grace Methodist Church. The policeman said, There must be some kind of parable here. The minister said, I'm sure it is. The, the policeman then looked at him and said, We can't have the shepherd out running the flock. Well, that's a great line. We can't have the shepherd outrunning the flock. But there's no danger of that, no danger at all with the great shepherd because we're told that the great shepherd ministers to the sheep. He's constantly with the sheep, ministering to the sheep. Now, beloved, the dumbest creature in the world is a sheep. A sheep is dumb and dirty and timid and helpless and defenseless. And it kind of hurts my feelings that God says, I'm a sheep. It kind of hurts my feelings, but then I began to realize, maybe I really am a sheep. I need guidance and I need strength and sometimes I'm preoccupied with something else. Do you know anybody like that? Sure you do. Isaiah the prophet said it best when he said, all of us like sheep have gone astray and followed our own way. He's talking about us, all of us. All of us are the sheep who have gone astray. And we will only know the shepherd if we can recognize our need of the shepherd and realize that we are the sheep that have wandered away. But if we know the shepherd, then we could understand life itself. Now, I've spent a lot of time in my lifetime studying the 23rd Psalm. I've read it over and over and over again. I've read scholar after scholar after scholar. But I came across one scholar who said something about the 23rd Psalm that I have never forgotten and I couldn't get away from. In his book on the 23rd Psalm, Albert Shirky said there is one phrase that binds this whole psalm together with a golden cord. That phrase is, I shall not want. And so we ask, I shall not want for what? The psalmist replies, the all-sufficiency of God. I shall not want for rest. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. We're told that sheep will not lay down unless several needs are met. They have to be free of friction. They have to be free of fear. They have to be free of pestilence. They have to be free of hunger. And only the shepherd can make those provisions for the sheep. And then, I shall not want for life. This scripture says, He restoreth my soul. Alan Redpath, who was the minister of the church in Chicago years ago, he said there was a motto on his wall and it went like this, Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. It's only the shepherd that can take care of our need for life. And then, I shall not want for guidance. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, I need guidance every day. We all do. Our lives touch everybody else all the time. We need guidance. We need strength. We need the shepherd. And then we're told, I shall not want for... Comfort, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Do you know if you look at this psalm, it says walking through the valley of the shadow, which means walking through death. In other words, this promise of the psalmist is that the divine shepherd walks with us all the way, all the way through our life to the termination and beyond. The divine shepherd is walking with us. And then this psalm says, I shall not want for eternal security. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. But I want you to notice that these promises are only made to people who know God as their shepherd. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So Harry Lauder, the famous Scottish comedian, said that when he lost his only son in World War One, he said, when a man comes to a thing like this, there's just three ways out of it. There's drink, there's despair, and there is God. And then he said, by his grace, this last is for me. You see, he knew God as his shepherd. And then we're told when David Livingston, the great missionary, was found dead, he was on his knees, and he had actually written something in his diary, and the last thing he had written was my Jesus, my Savior, my life, my all. Anew, I dedicate myself to you. But it's only because the Lord is my shepherd that I shall not want. Now, we need to really understand that. It's not just I shall not want. It's because the Lord is my shepherd that I shall not want. The shepherd provides for our needs. And then we come to this third thing, and this is equally important, because the Lord is my shepherd I shall not limit the truth of this blessed psalm. You know, we're told in this psalm, He restoreth my soul. It's delightful just to rest by the still waters and in the green pastures. That is absolutely delightful. But you see, that's not what rest and restoration are for. Rest and restoration are not just for us to keep on being in the still waters and in the green pastures. They're to prepare us for what's Ahead. You see, the psalmist also says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. In other words, we ought to work for righteousness. We ought to risk. That's what God calls us to do through this 23rd psalm. John Wesley said, and he passionately said this, There is no holiness but social holiness. If we make Christianity a solitary religion, we kill it. We kill it. And then there was a great chaplain. Of the United States Senate, Peter Marshall, who said, We cannot make a different world with indifferent people. Listen to that again. We cannot make a different world with indifferent people. And then there was another person, another person who, by the name of Dennis Moore, Ron Hall's African American partner in the ministry of the homeless, this is what he said I ain't got no way to read the mind of God but I expect that part of his business is making Christmas for somebody every day." And then he said if Christians would get out of the pews, all Christians, and go out into the city, into the streets, we could shut down the city. And what he's talking about shutting down is hunger and loneliness and shutting down the idea that there's nobody that doesn't deserve a second chance. Nobody that doesn't deserve a second chance. Now, let me try to bring this to a conclusion. There were these two men who were reciting the 23rd Psalm to a large audience. One of them was rather young. He was an orator, and he recited the 23rd Psalm in such a wonderful, eloquent way. When he finished, people just clapped and clapped and clapped and clapped. There was great applause for a long time. And then the other fellow, who was a little older, he got up and gave the 23rd Psalm in his own way, And when he finished, there was absolutely no noise. Everybody sat in silence as if in prayer. In a little while, the younger man got up and said, I'd like to tell you what's just happened here. He said, when I finished, you applauded. When this older man finished, you sat there as if in prayer. He said, the difference is I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not once. Let us pray. Oh God, how grateful we are for your presence and how grateful we are for this beautiful psalm, this psalm that has stood the test of the centuries and still speaks to us in our fears and in every other way as well. We pray, oh God, that you would take this psalm and bless it to those who are listening. Be to them a special way. Let this psalm be a message to them. Let this message that I've tried to deliver be a special message to them, that you love them and you're with them and you'll never desert them. It's in your name. Amen. Let me thank you again for joining us tonight, and I trust you'll continue to be with us. Blessings on you and your family. Have a good evening.
1: You pour down. in this place, please let me stay and rest in your home.